Lava, this is Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. I'm Elisha Fern. Coming up, life returns to normal in Fiji after severe tropical cyclone Mel shaved the country's western divisions. Also, to remember that they're in parliament representing a nation, not representing themselves. People in Vanuatu have marched against the ongoing political instability in the house. And later, give them that, that bold decision to choose for themselves so that girls can choose to, I want to be educated first before I want to start my family. I want to be employed first before I start a family. We begin a two-part series on women's reproductive rights and gender equality within the Pacific. Life is returning to normal in Fiji after severe tropical cyclone Mal shaved the country's western divisions on Tuesday and Wednesday. Mal weakened from a Category 1 cyclone hundreds of kilometres away from Fiji's southernmost island. It's forecast to stay in the high seas away from any other country. Caleb Fotheringham has more. It's the sound of Cyclone Mal at 11pm on Tuesday, thrashing Nundi, where there have been reports of landslides and thousands of people took shelter in evacuation centres on Tuesday night. At its peak, Fiji Met Service estimated average wind speeds in the western division reaching up to 110 kilometres per hour, with gusts getting close to 160 kilometres per hour. Forecaster Sammy Soni Wong of Wakatonga says Mal is no longer a threat. As it heads southeastwards, into open waters, uh, there's no country in its path. Fijians have been returning to work on Thursday and public schools that served as evacuation centres opened again to students. Fiji's National Disaster Management Office is currently conducting its initial damage assessments. Director Varsity Soko says these should be completed in the next two to three days, but it would depend on accessibility to affected areas. Until then, the full cost and extent of the damage will be unknown. So far, no casualties or injuries have been reported. Flooding uh, not as aggressive as what we've previously experienced, but we, we've had real cases reported for landslides. Uh, and of course, after the cyclone had passed, we had a lot of fallen trees as well as uh, electricity powers. Ms Soko says all electricity should have come back online midday Thursday, and most communication lines remained intact during the storm. She says all cyclones are different, but the impact seems to be less than others that have taken a similar path. This one, it checked along the same as DC Harrow, which is a Category 4. But in terms of the impact, it was quite minimal compared to DC Harold. Early warnings went out with the first public advisory urging people to be on high alert on Friday, days before the worst impacts of the cyclone were felt. The Fijian people were really prepared. You know, they took heed of our advisories. Uh, we had the highest number of evacuation centres yesterday. People moved in for safety. Ms Soko says Fiji is being helped with the initial survey by a New Zealand Navy ship. People in Vanuatu have marched against the ongoing political instability in the House. The country has seen four prime ministers come and go in the space of three years. On Wednesday, a dissolution of parliament was narrowly avoided with the opposition group withdrawing a motion of no confidence against the current prime minister, Charlotte Salwai. However, a dissolution may still be on the horizon because the opposition group now command a majority in parliament. The president of the republic, Nike Nike Vorobaravu, is yet to make a public statement on the recommendation of the Council of Ministers to dissolve the House. 
RNZ Pacific correspondent Ilia Bule was at the protest at Independence Park and spoke with one of the youth organisers, Elsie Molo, from the local NGO Sisters. Uh, this march that we're here at this morning is to basically stand and raise our voices uh, to show the government, to show everyone, the country, that we want to stop the instability that's currently going on at the moment. I saw many young people uh, like you uh, are here at Independence Park this morning to take part in this march. Is the uh, political crisis affect uh, the young people in Vanuatu? Absolutely. If it doesn't affect them directly, but indirectly as well, it just it doesn't paint a good image for the youth um, to see the government constantly changing, to see them not taking you know the issues, the, ma- the many different issues that we're currently facing seriously. So I think that's why a lot of um, youth are here to, today to show like the government that this is serious, this is our future that's in their hands and they need to start um, taking it seriously and start um, making those critical decisions. What is your main message uh, to the government, to the leaders? To the leaders, to take accountability for their actions, to remember that they're in parliament representing a nation, not representing themselves and so all action so that so everything that they say in parliament the actions that they do it reflects not only Vanuatu with the, at the national level but at the region regional and international level as well so just to remember that they're in there for to represent the country to represent the youth the men the women everyone More than 50 refugees stranded in Papua New Guinea will lose all services, including accommodation, by Wednesday next week. The group is a remnant of the hundreds once incarcerated on remote Manus Island, after being intercepted, trying to enter Australia illegally by boat. Fears of their evictions in Port Moresby have been circulating for weeks. Now they have been told that all services will end on November 23rd. Don Wiseman spoke with the Refugee Action Coalitions in Rintoul. How many refugees are we talking about still in PNG? 64. And they're all refugees or some of them are asylum seekers still? What? Some, some of them are asylum seekers. I'm not sure of the exact number. It might be like 13 or 14. So some still actually haven't been been assessed. They've received a letter and this letter has been forwarded to... Uh, a number of senior members in the government, including the Prime Minister. What's the gist of it? Well, the gist is that uh, they're all all services, uh, and it's signed by the major service providers, including PIH, the main medical provider, is, are going to cease services as of the 23rd of November. Now, many of the services have already been cut. So transport has been cut for the last three weeks. Uh, people haven't received either food vouchers or any income support. Uh, so people have already been without electricity. Some people have already been told that they wouldn't be treated at PIH without upfront payments. So progressively what we've seen is all the services being cut off. But now it's very, very clear that they've said by the 23rd of November they're going to cut all services, including most significantly is accommodation. 
We've already seen threats of eviction. Some people have been evicted, you know, a few weeks ago and uh, shuffled to different forms of, of accommodation. Uh, but now the, uh, you know, the housing providers are saying that accommodation will be cut as well. So they'll be on the streets of Port Moresby? That's, that's the consequences, yeah. I mean, there's already a couple of people who are on the streets who, who are homeless. And as I said before, we've seen, you know, one family that was evicted in, in October before they were found, you know, other housing. And there have been similar threats to other people. But this is the first time we've seen, you know, a threat to the whole lot. Uh, and that would be the consequence. They've got no money. They've got no support, and that, that would be if they're thrown out of the city, city boutique, if they're thrown out of the other MRT apartments and other places, uh, then they, they will be on the street. Now, the Australian government has been saying for years now that it's not our problem, it's PNG's problem. Clearly, that's not the way any of the advocates for the refugees see it. What should they be doing? Well, look, Australia needs to act very urgently and provide the, you know, the funds. I mean, whatever extent of corruption may have seen that, you know, those funds eroded, the fact is that there is an immediate threat of eviction and the cuts to the services that refugees who are Australia's responsibility, you know, are, are facing. So those funds have to be found immediately. But we've argued for a long time, you know, that the refugees who are still in PNG should be brought, you know, to Australia. So we need urgent action to ensure that they aren't evicted, their services are reinstated. But Claire O'Neill has to make arrangements to get the people out of uh, PNG. It's quite clear that the Labor, Labor government sent money in July 2022. So in spite of the fact that both the coalition and Labor governments have said it's nothing to do with us and not our responsibility, Labor had admitted a few weeks ago that they last provided funds in July 2022. So the, the Australian government is still got that responsibility for the uh, PNG agreement. It's also got, I think, the legal and moral responsibility as far that's been established, whether you're talking about the you know, the UNHCR or Human Rights Watch or people like ourselves. They clearly were sent there by a Labor government. They're being maintained there in an agreement that the Labor government is you know, a party to. So uh, the uh, responsibility, I think, is pretty clear. It, it does lie with the feet of the people who sent them there in the first place, and that's the Australian government. Gender equality and family planning has been raised with Pacific leaders off the back of the Pacific Islands Forum. In this two-part series on women's reproductive rights, I speak to FP2030 Pacific Engagement Advisor, Jofuliti Bikoso, who is breaking taboos in the Pacific. FP, which stands for Family Planning 2030, is a global partnership supporting the rights of women and girls to decide freely for themselves whether, when and how many children they want to have. In the Pacific, the initiative aims to empower communities and leaders to support the progress of women's health and productive rights. Uh, FP2030 is a transition from FP2020, which was something that came out of the International Conference for Population Development, ICPD. Um, there was a need to have a partnership uh, to sort of work with governments to make commitments around family planning. In the Pacific, FP2020, Solomon Islands was the only Pacific country that had made a commitment to FP2020. In terms of FP2030, no Pacific Island country has made a commitment yet, but there is uh, conversations already with some of the Pacific uh, leaders. Which ones? Um, uh, recently we've had a conversation with... Um, 
with uh, Fiji, uh, the, Pacific, the Minister for Women, Children and Poverty Alleviation. Um, there's also uh, an ongoing conversation with uh, the, the Solomon government. And um, next week, there's the Asia-Pacific Population, Con- uh, Population Conference, which is happening in Bangkok. And I do understand that the Cook Islands Minister for Foreign Affairs is also attending. What we do is we work with countries to make a commitment around family planning. When you talk about family planning, it sort of like sits across most of the sustainable development goals. What we're wanting is to provide that opportunity for women and girls to decide when do they want to have a family, how many children they want to have, give them that that bold decision to choose for themselves so that girls can choose to, I want to be educated first before I want to start my family. I want to be employed first before I start a family. I want to have my money, settle myself before I have a family. I think in the Pacific we are very, in a, of course I understand the family, that we, we love our families, we love, you know, to the, the Vuvale concept but I also believe that some of these uh, ways of doing of work is sort of like hindering that, that progress for women and girls to excel in life. Taking for example, one key thing that I should give applause to, to the Pacific leaders now is the revitalization of the Pacific leaders' de- gender declaration. Way back in 2012, they had made a commitment to gender equality and they are now also reinforcing, they're sort of like recommitting it uh, uh, on the, the gender declaration uh, during this meeting. And I think it's very important that we, that we have that, uh, that lens of the equality, of gender equality. And I do know and understand that The leaders have asked that men and boys be equal partners in implementing the gender equality uh, declaration. What does that look like? It looks like involving them, helping them be part of the process. So learning about women's reproductive systems, periods, that sort of thing? I think we need to break that culture of taboo that we cannot have this conversation. We should be having this conversation because... Many a times we can joke about these things, but we cannot have open, authentic conversation with our children, with our family, of what is going through in a female body or a man's body. When you talk about contraceptives, there's a high rates of HIV that has just increased recently. In Fiji, have spiked up. I find that to be a pandemic now, that it needs to be a more, that our health, our ministers, our leaders need to be very proactive in terms of the, the investment in reproductive health. Because when you talk about health systems or health as a whole, um, they are very choosy and nitty-gritty about which particular health that they're talking about. A collective action needs to come from our leaders to open that platform that it's okay to come in and get tested. Because I feel like Many people go on to a later stage to go get tested to be able to understand what are they facing, what's happening with their body. Because we have that culture of not talking about these things. We are so very closed about our bodies, our sexuality, whether I want to have a sex using condom or not. Uh, some of us may feel like condoms is a foreign concept. It's not about us. But also these things help prevent a few things, urging issues, eh? and especially health-related issues here in the Pacific. When you talk about the, the increasing in climate change and disasters in the Pacific, availability of contraceptives, availability of access to services. The Pacific is very unique that we are sort of like islands apart. 
and people are not getting that information people are not getting the the services that they need and people are actually moving from one place to another the migration is called you know the, the rising sea level the changing climate is causing people to move and i think while we are evolving that as well i think our leaders need to also think strategically in terms of how can we also get access to health services when it comes to contraception, what are communities saying? Obviously, each country will differ. The Pacific is a very religious region. And so how do you combat a lot of stigma, taboos, especially yeah. around something so simple as contraception? Yeah. Yeah. The Pacific Conference of Churches Secretary General, Reverend James Bhagwan, earlier this year, he made a statement that the churches need to be leading this work because of the high rates of HIV uh, and also because of the rising teenage pregnancies we have in the Pacific. And because the Pacific, you know, we understand the church is the place. We would go to the church anytime. We would listen to the pastor, whatever they say. We can break the rules that the government have put, but we can listen to the church. So he was calling for collective action. The churches need to introduce these topics into the church so that they have open conversation. There's young people that's in these churches who who are there, who they can create that awareness with, um, so that it doesn't become a taboo. Because when you talk about taboo, you can talk about culturally and also spiritually. So if we open up that conversation spiritually into the where we consider the place of worship, the, the place where it brings people together, the place of forgiving, the place of, uh, of love, They've also doing, you know, condom distribution, encouraging people to get uh, tested. We'll bring you part two of this series in our next show. That's Pacific Waves for today. To listen back, head over to rnzi.com slash programs. We're also on Apple, Spotify and iHeartRadio podcasts. From myself and the RNZ Pacific team, tōwha soi fua.